Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, Ring Central makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. Ring Central simpler communications fantasy today's episode is brought to you by flex fantasy and they want me to relay a message to you that they have cracked open the game of fantasy football to all when you sign up for a free account and download the flex fantasy app you can import all your teams from all your leagues across multiple platforms that you play on Spice up your fantasy playing experience by challenging league mates or strangers off the street to a fantasy matchup no matter how or where they play. And put your money where your mouth is by placing a wager on your head-to-head matchup. It doesn't matter if you are on Yahoo and your opponent is on Sleeper. You can import your teams to Flex Fantasy to face off. You can even make wagers on who you think will win between other challenges besides your own. So sign up for a free account and download the app to try it out at flex.fan. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. Welcome in to the show. We got the primetime recap the heroes and zeros, and the waiver saviors in tonight's episode of the MD's Fantasy Football Show. Thanks for tuning in live on our YouTube channel. Make sure to check us out live on BillyUp.TV. Or if you need to catch an episode that you missed, that's fine. Just download the Foxy Network app. Download it on your LG, Samsung, Roku, or Amazon Fire TV devices. And you can find us on the BellyUp Sports TV category, all of our episodes, or just stay up to date with the show when you're on the go. Download us on your favorite podcast app. Please give us a five-star review. It greatly helps out the show. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. 
And yes, before you guys start hitting me up on YouTube and maybe you're watching us on Billiam.tv or later on on your on-demand apps, you'll see that it looks a little bit different here today. Uh, this is not going to stay. This is due to some uh, temporary circumstances for tonight's show and likely will be the same for tomorrow night's show, which will be the, of course, the look ahead Wednesday first half fantasy football preview heading into week eight. Yeah, that's where we're at now. We're at week eight, baby. But that's all it's going to be. And once we get back to Thursday, it'll get course corrected for Thursday and Friday. Don't worry. If so, if you don't really like this different view, this different camera angle I have on me right now for you for you guys listening on the podcast version of the show, kind of more of like a more of an on an angle at me. I'm not actually looking right at the camera with this setup, not really looking right at you, not making eye contact, which I like to do a little bit more personally myself. I like that set up a little bit better. But for tonight and tomorrow night, it unfortunately will probably have to have this little wonky camera angle view that you have to just deal with for me. Please, you know, just work with me on this one. Not going to be too bad. It's still going to be the same great fantasy football advice. That much I can promise you. So we don't have anything to waste. We got to get into thumpers and bummers. We got to get the insight notes of the game. We got to get to my right and wrong calls and my heroes and zeros. And we got the waiver saviors, of course. Heading to week eight as we continue to get better here on the MD's Fantasy Football Show. So let's not waste any time and let's dive right in to our primetime thumpers. Quarterback thumpers. This is Sparta! Now, the one thing I will say is that when it comes to the primetime matchups, we're not selecting from as big a group of players. And uh, quite frankly, there's a lot of performances that may not warrant me mentioning as a thumper and may not warrant me mentioning as a bummer. And that's just kind of my long-winded of saying that uh, this thumper and bummer segment is going to be kind of short-lived between these two games because a lot of players just kind of fell in between those two areas. But I do want to talk about Justin Fields, my number one quarterback thumper of the primetime matchups, the Sunday night or the Monday night game, only 179 yards through the air, but he does have a passing touchdown one reception, but 82 yards on the ground and picks up a rushing touchdown. And while you probably were not playing Justin Fields this week, it does it does lay the groundwork moving forward that Justin Fields is going to become more of the conversation as a quarterback streamer. And we'll get into why later in the next segment when we get to the insights of the game. But Justin Fields... Had a really nice-looking game in this one. Gets it done with his legs for the second week in a row. And now, we might be having a different conversation on him moving forward. Running running back thumpers. This is Sparta! I didn't have any quarterback bummers because you wouldn't have played any of the quarterbacks anyway of these four teams. And the only other one would have been two attack on the bow. who didn't have a great game, but he wasn't terrible either so didn't really qualify being a bummer so that's why we skip ahead to the running back thumpers here and row number one on the list was Ramondre Stevenson the only 39 yards on the ground that part was a little bit disappointing against the Chicago Bears in particular but he gets a touchdown and he tacks on eight targets eight receptions and 59 yards we're sitting there in half point full point PPR leagues you are more than happy with the performance that Ramondre Stevenson was able to give you. So whether it was on the ground or through the air, Stevenson still wound up being that lock him in 
top 20 running back you want him to be. My number two thumper, Raheem Moster on Sunday night, 79 yards on the ground, four catches, 30 yards, and a receiving touchdown. That had to make you feel good that Raheem Moser, who rarely gets involved in the passing game at a significant clip, did so this week and just continues to have a stranglehold on that Miami Dolphins backfield right now. And because he's such a big play threat, we haven't even seen Raheem Moser hit that big play that we know he's capable of yet. How long will this ride last? We don't know because that's that's the danger that is Raheem Moser. But for now... While that ride's going, enjoy it while it's here. Because right now, he is a lock him in RB2 with RB1 upside right now every single week. Running back bummers. I hope, I hope, I hope you guys did not make the decision to play Damian Harris. I had him outside my top 36, even with the news that he was off the injury report later on this week. But he had a couple things going against you. You didn't know how exactly how healthy he truly was. I made the point on the Thursday night show that this is a guy, when he was first reported, was expected to miss like a month with a hamstring injury. It was, it was meant to miss multiple weeks, and that didn't wind up happening. He missed one week. He was back at practice after the first week of the injury, and then this week comes off the injury report completely. So I had the question of, all right, how much of this is just Belichick trying to make the Bears have to game plan for anything and everything. And how much is this real? Some of you may have felt like, well, Damian Harris gets Chicago Bears, a heavy bye week. You're probably sitting there like, I don't know how many better options I have. And when Damian Harris has been active, he's been pretty good for me in the past. I can understand a lot of thinking, but I was also like, look, we don't know how healthy he is. It's a Monday night game, so you're not going to have a pivot option if it turns out he's not that healthy. So my advice was not to play him. I hope you listened because he only turned in an eight-yard, two-target, one-catch for two-yard performance in this one. An absolute bummer. Hopefully, though, most of you were not trying to play him. I only have one other thumper or bummer on my list. Tight end thumpers. This is Sparta! Pat Freermuth. He had a really good, strong game, especially comparatively speaking to the rest of the tight end group from this past week. Nine targets, eight receptions, 75 yards. I had him ranked as a top five tight end. He did just that, even without scoring, because he tacks on the eight receptions. So half point, full point PPR leagues came through in a big way, and it proves that he can have good high floor value with Kenny Pickett as the quarterback position. Because with Kenny Pickett back there, They're throwing it come hell or high water because there's a lot of turnovers. The offense still needs to come back from behind consistently. And while Deontay Johnson gets his targets and George Pickens gets his nice performance, we'll get into all that in just a moment. But Pat Freermuth still comes through as the best receiving option of the day. And while I don't expect that to be the case all the time, it just gives you the confidence you needed because we hadn't seen it yet with Freermuth and Kenny Pickett both on the field together at the same time either. It's only been one game of that so far. And that one game, Freermuth had a tough matchup for tight ends and didn't perform all that great. Well, in this matchup, he comes through when you need him to against the Miami Dolphins. And I got the call right by making him a top five tight end of the week. And now, you know, moving forward, he's very much a top 10 option, probably more weeks than not. 
But that's going to do it for our, our thumpers and bummers. Again, I told you guys it was not going to be a long list due to the circumstances of these two primetime games. But let's talk about them in a little more depth. What do we know from the primetime matchups? Well, let's start off with the Sunday night game. Of course, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Miami Dolphins. We'll start on the Pittsburgh side of the ball. It was a different week, but it was the same song. High volume, low efficiency across the board for Najee Harris, for Kenny Pick in the passing game for the wide receivers. The only guy who was efficient was George Pickens. Six targets, six receptions. 61 yards and a touchdown. He was the only guy that was efficient on the high volume. Everybody else was pretty much inefficient. Well, I should I take that back. Pat Freeman was pretty efficient on his on his looks as well with the nine targets and the eight receptions. But Deontay Johnson, once again, he gets double digit targets. Great. He's going to remain in the top ten as far as the target monster goes. But only five catches for 42 yards. Claypool five catches 41 yards on eight targets. We know we don't want to play Claypool with Kenny Pickett. He just has a better rapport with Pickens, and Deontay Johnson is still his number one weed, uh, read. And not to mention, Pat Freemuth now having a good game with Pickett is too. So there's just too many mouths to feed to everything Claypool's going to be good. I will throw this out there. November 1st, that's the trade deadline. A lot of rumors about Claypool, could he potentially be on the move? And logically speaking, for where the Steelers franchise is at and the fact that being that they resigned Deontay Johnson, there's really no reason for them to bring back Chase Claypool next season, and they're probably not going to. There's really no reason to have him the rest of the way. I think there's a small chance Claypool gets moved before next week's deadline. So that's the one thing where I would say, hey, you know what? If Claypool's available and you have an extra roster spot, maybe you stash him. I know this feels like more of a waiver wire talk for that last segment of the show today. But maybe you stash him with the idea of hoping he gets traded to maybe a Kansas City or maybe he gets traded to the Green Bay Packers who desperately need some wide receivers after this past week and that rearing its ugly head. So I think it's worth a speculative ad, but as long as he's on the Steelers, I'm not playing him in a fantasy football option either. But Pickens just has the best rapport, plain and simple. And he still plays the third most amongst the receivers, still snap-wise, target-wise even in this game. He's still behind Claypool, but Pickett just finds him down the field. He's the guy who can actually hit the big play. He's going to be more of the touchdown go-to option. And it just kind of showed in this game against the Miami Dolphins why that's the case. So Pickens, I like him as long as Pickett's playing as like a wide receiver three, boomer bust option. He does have some value there. But outside of that, this just becomes more of the same, whereas Deontay Johnson gets the volume too much to ignore, but doesn't actually produce. Najee Harris, once again, comes in at under four yards of carry, even though he continues to dominate snaps from Jalen Warren. I'm convinced that he's still banged up. And Kenny Pickett remains a turnover machine. Nothing changes for the Pittsburgh Steelers moving forward, frankly. But on the Miami Dolphins side of the ball, so the big NFL headline, right, to attack Lavoa back. And I even ranked him inside my top 12 because I'm like, look, it's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell have been fantastic, and they've proven all they need is a slant thrown ball in the right spot that they could take to the house and break away. And that's all they got to do. Well, it wasn't laying it up that way this game. 
Tyree Kill, though, at least was a target monster with 13 and turns in seven catches for 72 yards. Jalen Waddell making the most on his opportunities, though. Only five targets. So that discrepancy has to worry you a little bit if Tua Tagovailoa is going to continue to get the ball out of his hands this quickly. And that was really the storyline. Tua was not taking chances. The Dolphins' play calling was not taking chances. And I don't blame them. But it does stand a reason if this is going to be the game plan moving forward where Tua, who's already a bit of a struggle to make throw the ball down the field to begin with, if the idea is going to be consistently give him this glorified, I don't know, Ben Roethlisberger treatment of, or Tom Breed treatment even, of as soon as you snap the ball, I want that ball out of your hands within two seconds flat type of deal. Well, thankfully, the wide receivers like Hill and Waddle have the breakaway speed to take that short pass and take it to the house. But that's more of what it's going to have to be because those deep field threats, those bombs, those long developing plays, at least for right now, don't seem to be on the table. Now, maybe as to a plays and he doesn't get hurt and we get a couple more weeks removed from the back-to-back concussions. I don't care what anybody tells you. They were back-to-back concussions. Then maybe that becomes a little less worrisome. Maybe we start to see him take some more shots down the field like he was earlier on this season. But for now, that's something we kind of have to watch to see how this plays out over the next couple of weeks. And of course, we talked about Raheem Mostert, the big thing, him being involved in the receiving game. He ran more routes than Chase Edmonds. He was targeted more than Chase Edmonds. He's a workhorse back. Edmonds comes in to spell him and give him rest and takes a series here or there. But for all intents and purposes, Raheem Mostert is a workhorse back right now. And that's why I said during the thumper section, He's just a lock him in type of guy. But let's move into the Monday night matchup between the New England Patriots, Chicago Bears. The Bears shocking the Patriots and the world, quite frankly, because I don't think anybody really thought the Bears would win this game outright. Maybe a few people had the Bears on the on the line, which was plus eight by the time this game kicked off. I don't think anybody was taking the Bears to win this game outright in New England on Monday night with Justin Fields and his offense playing the way that it had up until this point. They dropped 33. They dropped 33 points. Nobody thought Chicago would come in and drop 33 points. Nobody, not even Chicago fans, thought they'd come in and drop 33 points. And that's the point with Justin Fields. So I kind of alluded to it earlier. But if Justin Fields can play the way that he did in this game and continue it on, then we might start to talk about him more so as a potential low-end QB1 the rest of the way. What was the big difference in this game? You look at the box score from the passing standpoint, it looks kind of the same. 13 of only 21 pass attempts, something we've been complaining about all year long. Not even 200 yards passing. Does have a turnover, but does get a passing touchdown too. But he still, he just looked like he was more comfortable in his own skin when he was dropping back the pass. It looked like he was seeing more of the field. He was getting off of his first read a little bit more consistently. If that can trend in the right direction... We know he tacks on with his legs, just like in this game. 82 yards on the ground and a touchdown coming off of a 100-yard rushing performance a week ago. If he just be a little bit competent in the passing game, which there was a lot of things tonight that I saw that you want to take home with you. Like There's a lot of things like as far as improvement goes for Justin Fields. The first sign of improvement, frankly, we've seen from him all season long. If that can continue... We're going to have more fantasy-relevant conversations about Justin Fields in a year in which it doesn't take much to be a low-end QB1 right now. You pretty much have to be a quarterback with a pulse, 
<laughs> like, and just trending in the right direction. That That's all it takes right now. That's it. That's all. So Fields might be on the cusp of that conversation. He's got to do it for me again. He has to show another competent passing performance with his rushing ability for another week in a row before I can completely buy into it. But this at least was a step in the right direction, and now I'm going to have my eye on it. But what about Montgomery and Khalil Herbert? So these guys are looking like they're getting into being more of a committee. David Montgomery had 40 snaps in this game. Khalil Herbert had 29 and Montgomery only had three more carries than Herbert. Now, some of this for Herbert in particular came at the end of the game when the Bears had the game well in hand, shockingly, and Herbert picked up a few extra carries. Montgomery kind of didn't really play most of the fourth quarter. In fact, the very last drive, they actually had Tristan Ebner in at the very, very last drive of this game where they just kind of like just, just they had a last turnover and they kind of just melted out the clock until the whole thing was finally over. But it's something to watch. So before leading up to this point, you know, I kept telling you guys, Herbert's nothing more than a high-end handcuff. David Montgomery is still the lead back, and by a significant margin at that. Well, he still led the way and had this game gone the other way where Chicago is trailing like we would have expected them to, we probably would have saw a lot more Montgomery. And the, the split probably would have been so significant because Montgomery is the pass-catching guy. Khalil Herbert doesn't get involved in those aspects of the game. And I'm sorry, Chicago fans, but look, I expect the Bears to be in more game scripts where they're trailing from behind in the fourth quarter rather than trying to just ice games away. But it was just interesting to know that Khalil Herbert played a significant amount and played a decent amount throughout the game. For every two series Montgomery was out there, felt like Khalil Herbert was coming out for one. They give him a breather. Herbert's not at the point where he has standalone value yet but he's getting closer to that point and is still very much a high-end handcuff that needs to be owned, especially if you own David Montgomery, but he has a golden ticket factor because if anything happens to Montgomery, Khalil Herbert could be a low-end RB1 the rest of the way. So just keep that in mind and keep your eye on those playing time snaps to see if that gets closer and closer as this season wears on. My last note for the Bears is tied to Justin Fields. If Fields can look a little bit more competent throughout then Darnell Mooney will be fantasy relevant again before long. And this wasn't a great game. He only had six targets, three catches, and 53 yards. But just the point of, if Fields becomes more competent as a passer as the season wears on, Darnell Mooney could make his welcome back performance to fantasy owners sometime in the near future. So just more reason to keep your eye on how Fields is playing. Does he play more like he did today when he gets off that first read and actually surveys more of the field and just seems more comfortable in his own skin? That's what you need to see more of. So keep your eye on Mooney from that standpoint too. On New England side of the ball, first one, quarterback controversy, no more. I know Mac Jones started this game and then he got pulled for Bailey Zappi. He never came back into the matchup despite the comments from Bill Belichick at halftime that, oh, no, the plan is that, you know, we'll bring Mac Jones back. I knew that wasn't going to happen. I knew there was no way Mac Jones going back in that game. First of all, they scored both their only touchdowns in the first half when Bailey Zappi came into the game. Second of all, you're not trying to get Mac Jones hurt. Frankly, Mac Jones shouldn't even play this game, period. Whatever. You gave the guy a shot, fine. He went three of six for 13 yards, threw a pick, and that was the end of that. But Bailey Zappi did what he hadn't done the past few weeks. And why just reminds you that look, he's still a backup quarterback. 
turned over the ball, two interceptions in this game. After that, you know, those 14 points in the first half did absolutely nothing in the entire rest of the second half. The offense became completely stale. This was never a quarterback controversy in my mind to begin with. And you've been part of MD Nation. You've been listening to me talk. Hopefully, you were in agreement or at least were aware of the fact that this wasn't actually a quarterback controversy, but something that the media seem to be having a little bit more fun with than everybody else. Well, that will be put to an end. Regardless, by the way, of whether or not Mac Jones winds up being the starting quarterback next week, because he's just, he's not healthy enough yet. Okay, plain and simple. There's a very significant high ankle sprain. He had no business being out there tonight. I wouldn't be surprised if he has no business being out there next week. But when he's back and healthy, it will be Mac Jones the rest of the way. Which, when Mac Jones returns, by the way, I do think that would be a good thing for Jacoby Myers. Now, if you played Myers as a wide receiver three option because he didn't have any better options to go with, and it was a nice matchup on paper against Chicago, at least he came through with the 30-yard touchdown for you. But outside of that, he only had one more catch, one more target even, for four yards. That was it. When Mac Jones comes back, Jacoby Myers has that PPR, high-floor, wide receiver three value with Zappy back there. It gets spread out a little bit more, typically speaking. And Ramondre Stevenson really winds up being a big, you know, a, a big value with Zappy back there because he loves checking the ball down to him on a consistent basis. Which brings me to my next point. I felt like I left this game having more questions about the Patriots' backfield moving forward than I did answers, or even more questions than I did heading into this game. So I alluded to Damian Harris. He was one of the bummers of the week. And the Patriots did like their little Patriots, I hate you fantasy football thing where the guy comes off the injury report. Whether or not he was actually fully healthy, it's hard to determine. In the first half, Roger Stevenson and Damian Harris were doing their kind of like split series by series thing. But the difference was Stevenson was the one who actually started off the game. And then whenever they got into third and long, even if it was Damian Harris's turn to be on the field, well, then Ramondre Stevenson still played on the third and long situations, two-minute drill. Any passing down situation, it's all Ramondre Stevenson. That's that's exactly what we'd expect it to be. You look at If you look at the snap counts in this game, it doesn't look like Damian Harris was actually in at a significant rate with Ramondre Stevenson because he only had nine snaps by the time this thing was over. Part of that, though, is because Chicago in the second half pulled away the way that they did and were up at the half Ramon Stevenson basically played the entire first, the second half, excuse me. Harris came in, I think, for one drive, played about two plays. That was about it. I don't think I saw him again after that. There wasn't anything about a reported setback as far as a hamstring injury. So we can allude to it was probably had more to do with game script. They were in pass mode pretty much the rest of the game after that. Ramondre Stevenson then dominates in that fashion. That's why he winds up with eight catches and eight targets. That's a high volume even for him over the past few weeks. Like Even when he's been there without Damian Harris, he wasn't getting eight targets. So was it the game script, or was it that Damian Harris is not actually back to being healthy? Three carries, eight yards. Didn't look very explosive to me when he had the ball in his hands those three times either. So those are the questions I have. Like, was Harris actually healthy, and did that lead to Ronald Stevenson getting the big workload, or was it the game script? Because this game fell out of hand. We know Stevenson's the pass catching back. Did it fall out of hand for that way? Was Stevenson the dominant back for that reason? 
Regardless, here's what I think we can take with us moving forward. With Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson both healthy, Stevenson's the guy. He is the starting running back, I believe, moving forward. I think he earned that right over the past two weeks and had been trending in that direction anyway. We know that likely the Patriots will be moving on from Damian Harris at the end of this season. It will be Ramondre Stevenson's backfield anyway. And Stevenson, the better pass catcher, especially with no time Montgomery around, takes all of that work from Damian Harris. So that's going to be the other thing. When Ty Montgomery comes back, do they go back to this being a three-man committee? If not, Stevenson, even with a healthy Damian Harris, is a high-end RB2 with low-end RB1 upside because he's a very good player. Pagers, for the most part, have run the ball really well, and he'll get those pass-catching targets, which he has, whether it's Zappi or Mac Jones, two quarterbacks that like to check the ball down. So either way, this bodes well for Stevenson. Harris, on the other hand, becomes a very much touchdown-dependent, game-script-dependent RB3, which we already, we already have a lot of guys like that. And that's kind of that's kind of the hard part here. And hopefully... Okay, I think we're okay. We're having a little bit of a technical issue there for a second. Got a little worried, but I think we're, we're good to go. So those are the questions I have. So, yeah, basically I left with a lot of questions, not a ton of answers, other than I think Ramondre Stevenson's the starting running back moving forward, regardless of Damian Harris's health. But we still don't know what happens when Ty Montgomery comes back. We still don't know if Damian Harris was fully healthy in this game. There's a lot of things kind of getting left up in the air as a result. That does it for our inside notes of the game and our thumpers and bummers. What I want to do is take a quick break. We come back on the other side. We got my heroes and zeros of the week, my right and wrong calls. And then we have our waiver saviors heading into week eight to keep getting better with the MD's fantasy football show. So everybody stay tuned and we'll be back right after this. Football is back, baby. And our new sponsor, True Classic, wants you to look and feel your best even after a couple of brewskis or going full force on your fantasy football draft. Sure, it's football season, but it's also butt the couch season. Luckily, True Classic has the absolute best-fitting clothing a man can buy. Snug in the arms and chest with a little extra space in the torso, their t-shirts are designed to keep you cozy and highlight your best assets no matter what you're up to. So if your special someone is upset that you're watching football all day, at least you can look good doing it. True Classic has already helped over 2 million men find the perfect fit at an affordable price. Our listeners get access to the best deal they offer. For a limited time only, get 25% off with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY at trueclassic.com. Almost all men's t-shirts are designed to look good on skinny models with six-packs, but most of us aren't packing anything but a few beers. Fellas, you are wearing the wrong clothes. True Classic tees taper off towards the bottom, but they fit tighter around the chest and shoulders. It's time to highlight your best attributes with a t-shirt you can always confidently throw on. It's about time to get your fit together, so upgrade your wardrobe with True Classic and get 25% off at trueclassic.com with promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. Free shipping included on purchases over $100. That's 25% off at trueclassic.com with the promo code BELLYUPFANTASY. If there's one bet you should make this football season, it's on True Classic. True Classic, look good, feel good. This is the MD's Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader. Giving you the X's and O's of all things fantasy. 
Welcome back into the show. You're watching or listening to the MD's Fantasy Football Show. It's the primetime recap, which we just talked about. My heroes and zeros, which we'll get into in a second. Of course, the waiver saviors heading into week eight as we continue to get better. Because that's what fantasy football is about. It's not about did you draft the perfect team. It's about did you draft a good core. Are you making the right waiver moves? Are you staying active in the trade market? You get better as the season wears on. That's what builds championships. And that's why we have to continue to do so as we move along. But let's dive into my heroes and zeros. Dan's heroes and zeros. My right and wrong calls of the week. And we'll start off with my quarterback heroes. Quarterback heroes. My number two hero. And it's probably in a negative light for him, but it was right for me. Geno Smith, he was my QB 13. I said, look, he's not a must-star for me. He's not a top 12 quarterback this week. One of the things that's been bothering me about Geno is that he has to be highly efficient on little volume. We talk about this all the time with quarterbacks. And he's somebody who's been kind of hovering around that 30 pass attempt mark. And I know he had a couple of weeks where he went big, right? Even tacked on some yards on the ground with his legs. And had, you know, bombs to DK Metcalf, touchdowns to Tyler Lockett, and was fantasy gold for a few weeks. But I said even then, what bothers me is that, look, he's not Russell Wilson in his prime, okay? That's not what he actually is. We have 10 years of watching Geno Smith be a backup journeyman in this league. I refuse to believe he's suddenly as good as Russell Wilson was in his prime and is going to be as efficient because Russ was the only guy I ever saw who could throw the ball 30, 32 times a game and still put up the QB1 fantasy numbers that he put up with Seattle Seahawks. He's the only one I saw who could do it on a consistent basis, no less. Most of the time, when you're talking about a quarterback operating on that kind of volume, it's going to be hit or miss depending upon if they were highly efficient in the touchdown department or they were able to hit a few big plays as a result. And what it does is it lends you maybe not having those ceiling opportunities. That's what's happened. That's what happened this past week. That's what I thought might happen in this going into this week, which is why it was a QB 13 for me. He's not a must start. He's still a streaming option. And that's exactly what he finished as QB 13 right on the dot. Quarterback zeros. All right. All right. I'm sorry for this one. This is a bad call by me. I had Matt Ryan as a top 10 quarterback this week, number 10, exactly. And that was five spots higher than the ECR. He winds up finishing his QB 17. It might even be lower than that after the primetime games. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Look, I read it against Tennessee, who they're, you know, it's a really good matchup for quarterbacks, really good matchup for wide receivers. Matt Ryan, while it wasn't pretty, and I said, you know, maybe you don't want to watch the game, but box score-wise, has been somebody who's been putting up consistently around that 300-yard, two-touchdown mark and has been offering up a fantasy floor as a result of that. Well, in this game, apparently he plays so bad 
that Sam Ellinger is now going to be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season. Yes, this is where I will give my Sam Ellinger update and my analysis for him. What does it do to the wide receivers? That's what's important. Sam Ellinger's not become a fantasy-relevant quarterback. Look, he'll lock on to his number one read. So for Michael Pittman owners out there, I don't think too much changes for him. But the upside that we thought Alec Pierce could have, that might change. The Paris-Campbell resurgence over the past couple of weeks, that might change. They're going to lean more on the running game moving forward by making this quarterback switch because you're not going to want to leave Sam Ellinger out there to dry. So it could be a good thing for Jonathan Taylor owners because they're going to have to make a proactive effort to get that running game going, which means really focusing on that offensive line, helping it out in any way that they can. So it's good for Jonathan Taylor owners. and I think it's fine for Pittman owners. But the guy, the Alec Pierce's, the Parrish Campbell's, I don't know how fantasy relevant or what kind of upside they're possibly going to have moving forward. Remember, Sam Ellinger is not good. All right, he's, he's not good. He's a backup quarterback. He's never meant to be a starter, never meant to be a franchise guy. He's hanging around this roster. But what the big story is that Matt Ryan, he's not only the backup, he's the backup backup. They're making him the QB3. And they're saying Nick Foles is a QB2. And it was really funny, the timing of it all, because they make that news announcement right before, seconds before, really, that they have an announcement that, Matt Reinhardt's shoulder, but then they had to go back and clarify. All the beat writers went back and clarified that. No, 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 no. Frank Reichs makes this announcement as in Sam Ellinger's starting quarterback moving forward. They're done with Matt Ryan. They're like, this is just a waste of time with Matt Ryan. Plain and simple. That's exactly what they're saying out there in Indianapolis right now. Incredible. Like Chris and I said all season long, Carson Wentz wasn't your problem. Carson Wentz wasn't Rye. You were not making the playoffs yet again. And making the move for Matt Ryan was a mistake. And that's all come to fruition now. Carson Wentz had a 27-7 touchdown-interception ratio. He was not the issue for this team last year. And Matt Ryan is done. And this, unfortunately, he's had a very good career, but this might put it at a complete end. And about Matt Ryan, I mean, look, he's collecting a paycheck, but... I would think about retiring midseason. Again, he's collecting a paycheck, so he probably doesn't do that. He waits till the end of the year. But this is not going to be a great way for a guy that did have a good career to have to go out on. But it does have to happen because he's washed. It's over. Tennessee beat you down so badly. You could not take advantage of what's been a plus matchup for a lot of other passing attacks. So much so that they want to go with Sam Ellinger as the starting quarterback for the rest of the year. Ugh. So the fact is, there's still a lot we're going to not know. But for this game, again, my quarterback zero, or my second quarterback zero of the week. Quarterback heroes. Jimmy G ranked him as a top 12 quarterback, said he's a QB1. You could pick him up and stream him against the Kansas City Chiefs. And as of Sunday night before the primetime games kicked off, he was actually the QB8. So he probably still around that top 12 guy. Nailed it. Wasn't a pretty game, but with all the new weapons and the game script that I expected to come out of the Chiefs game, which was for them to lead that game, especially going into halftime, that led to the extra volume that Jimmy G doesn't always see. And when he sees 40-plus pass attempts, he usually finishes as a top-12 quarterback. So Jimmy G coming through with my ranking. We were looking for streaming options. I said, start him, please. And he came through with a floor performance, but a floor performance right now 
that gets you a top 10 performance for fantasy football, unfortunately. Quarterback zeros. Yeah, my number one wrong call of the week at the quarterback position I felt like was Tom Brady. I ranked him as a QB6. It was only one spot higher than the ECR, but I was still more aggressive on him. I thought for sure he'd come back against Carolina. The game set up well for them. And who knows, if Mike Evans had caught that opening touch, that opening big touchdown, he dropped completely, maybe everything would have panned out differently from that point on. But the fact is this, while he threw the ball over 40 times, he was still the QB 18 on the week. Absolutely terrible. And we cannot have conversations about Tom Brady being a mid-level QB one again when they're putting up these kind of dud performances and just look completely lost in Tampa Bay right now. And it's going to take a lot for them to find their way again. So I apologize for being aggressive on Tom Brady. Running back heroes. Gus Edwards. I was 16 spots higher than the ECR on Gus Edwards. I ranked him at RB 33. I was like, look, you can play him as a flex. As soon as we got the news alert, and I, I update these ranks all throughout the weekend, I update them probably two or three times as we're going through Sunday morning, especially when we're getting surprise news like we did this past Sunday. Gus Edwards getting first-team reps in the warm-ups. I was like, okay, that's all I needed to know because I was worried about Kenyon Drake. I wasn't confident about Kenyon Drake. Even with J.K. Dobbins out, Drake coming off of a big 100-yard performance game, people looking at him as like that RB3 flex guy for the week. And I was like, look, Drake's had his shot this year, early on in the season, with no J.K. Dobbins around, no Gus Edwards around. He did absolutely nothing with his opportunity early in the season. I'm not suddenly going to buy that Kenyon Drake can really be this fantasy relevant now. Well, neither the Ravens, apparently, because as soon as Gus Edwards showed he was good enough, he went in there, got two touchdowns. And like I said, I wasn't even high enough on him in RB33, but I was aggressively more higher than the ECR was, and it panned out in a big, big way. That's why you should always look at the BillyUpFantasySports.com website and look for my rankings, Dan Mater, on Sunday mornings right before kickoff when you get the chance to do so. Running back zeros. I made a whole thing about this throughout the week, and it was more out of emotion, and that's the problem with fantasy football, right? It's an emotional game. We spend hours on it. We're rooting for it. We invest in it, and sometimes the emotions get the better of us, and that's what happened with me and Melvin Gordon. I was aggressively higher than the ECR. I had him 11 spots higher. him had an RB23 because I was convinced in my mind that he's immensely more talented than Latavius Murray is immensely more talented than a Mike Boone is. And that Nathaniel Hackett could not be stupid enough, especially with no Russell Wilson. I thought that would actually benefit Melvin Gordon even more to not play the best running back more of the time. Technically, he played slightly more, but that was it. Nathaniel Hackett has now hit a point where I have, I have zero respect for the guy. He has to get fired. There's already been some rumors that what happens if Jacksonville lights up Denver and London on Sunday. I hope that happens. I would love it if this ownership group that did not hire Nathaniel Hackett in the first place just moved on from him after this week. Would love it if that happened. It needs to happen. The Broncos need new life. You can't do anything about Russell Wilson. 
but you can do something about the head coach. If nothing else, just to put a shockwave in everybody, let them know that this performances are unacceptable and the usage of the running backs is unacceptable. But that was my mistake for letting the emotions get the best of me and thinking that Melvin Gordon, there was no way would actually split time with wash up Latavius Murray for a second week in a row. That's exactly what wound up happening. I went against the grain. The warnings were there. I ignored them anyway, and I apologize to MD Nation. Running back heroes. Yeah, I got some calls right, too, though, like Josh Jacobs. I ranked him as the RB1. I wasn't afraid like the rest of the ECR. I was aggressively more higher than him. I said, no, no, no. Those two weeks before the bye, they're they're not duds. They're not flukes. This is here to stay. And it wasn't just because he's been so good on the ground and running like he's an elite running back, running like he's more explosive than he ever has been his entire career. What got me is that he's the workhorse back. He's getting all the pass-catching ability, all the snaps, all the two-minute drill, all the targets out of the backfield. They're not rotating in anybody else. No Brandon Bolden, no Amir Abdullah, no Zamir White, nothing. It's all the Josh Jacobs show. And that was all I needed to know. Hey, you're the workhorse back. I'm playing you because Josh McDaniels knows how to run the football. And if he's giving it to one guy, I want that one guy. So even though I don't know how great he was going to be on the ground, if he could continue his, you know, I don't know, LT impression, LaDainian Thomas impression, I, I, I don't even know what else to call it because that dominant on the ground right now, he was going to have a safe floor no matter what. And he had a great match against Houston. And I ranked him as my number one running back coming into the week. And he was exactly just that. Running back zeros. So I had another one that I made a rant on, and I was I was dead wrong. I was dead wrong. And that's the Jacksonville backfield. So look, the three games prior, Travis Etienne had played only two more snaps each than James Robinson. It'd been a 50-50 committee. The week before, Robinson still had more carries than Travis Etienne on the two less snaps. And I looked at the Giants game, and I thought to myself, this could be a pro-neutral game script for Jacksonville. The Giants are not good against runners. They're not good against running backs on early downs. So I thought this set up to be a decent game script for James Robinson, and then he wasn't even used. <laughs> he didn't even register a carry, not a target. I don't know if Jacksonville thought that they were actually looking to trade Robinson before the deadline and decided they didn't want to use him and risk to get injured. I don't know if that factored in because, of course, James Robinson gets traded the very next day to the Jets who had lost Brees Hall. Now, obviously, they didn't know that the Jets were going to lose Brees Hall that game. So I know, like, yeah, them being in contract negotiated with the Jets, that wasn't going on previous to Sunday. I know that much. But maybe they thought they were trading James Robinson to someone. And that's why, because this had been a, at the bare minimum, it had basically been a 50-50 committee. And all of a sudden, James Robinson's not even involved in the game plan. Travis Etienne, though, he took over. And now, with Robinson out of the way, we might see more performances like we saw against the Giants. Because if nothing else, he's going to have a high floor of running back who actually catches the ball, too. I don't know if Travis Etienne can hold up for a full workload. He's not the biggest running back in the world. I do know... He ain't going to be splitting that much time with Jermichael Hasty. So while he's healthy, ride that wave, baby, because he's going to be the guy in redraft leagues. I might even think about selling him off high. Because again, I just don't know if he actually holds up under that kind of a workload. But for now, sky's the limit for Travis Etienne as he gets 
the full touches of this backfield moving forward with the trade. And even in this game, it looked like he had taken over anyway. And I was wrong to put Robinson one spot ahead of Travis Etienne, thinking he would be the one to get the touchdowns that week. Wide receiver heroes. Yeah, I nailed Chris Olave. Had him as my wide receiver 12 coming into the week. And that was surprising that he was. I was seven spots higher than the ECR. I was shocked by that. It didn't make any sense to me. Chris Olave's been great. Michael Thomas is going to miss yet again. I guess some people were a little bit worried about him coming off a concussion. I guess some people were a little bit worried about him playing as the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinal matchup would have bothered me if it wasn't for the fact that I knew there was nobody else to throw the ball to. And the concussion thing, look, he was already practicing in full at the end of the week the week previously. It was a surprise that he didn't play the Sunday before, frankly. So I knew he was good to go. And the one thing with concussions is that once you're cleared and you're recovered from them, well, it's not like it was a, a body ailment that affects your game more so when you're out there on the field. Wasn't worried about Chris Olave and nailed his ranking on the week with no trepidation. Wide receiver zeros. I already went off on a, on a tangent. I'm not going to do it too much more here. On the Sunday Funday recap, if you missed that show, go back on our YouTube channel, go back, download the Foxy Network app, go back on your pod, favorite podcast app and listen. I don't know why Keenan Allen played if he was not 100% ready to go. You had the bye week the following week. You knew that he kind of wanted to sit out and that you would have bought him two extra weeks just by sending him out this one game. There was no reason to put him out there if he's not a fully 100%. What winds up happening, he doesn't play at all the second half. He says he doesn't feel like he could explode off the hamstring the way he felt like he needs to to be himself out there. Didn't have a setback. Just didn't feel like he couldn't be himself or at least couldn't confidently mentally be himself just yet. Then why was he out there? It was even a little bit of a question mark. Why was he out there? So I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I ranked him aggressively higher. Had him at wide receiver 18. I was 29 spots higher than the ECR. Because in my mind, it was either he was going to play and be close to 100% and play his full threat of snaps and be the receiver they need him to be because that offense has been out of sync without him. And therefore, he would have that wide receiver two floor. Or he would be completely out of my rankings. could be out of the game. I did not think he, they would actually play him to only play a handful of snaps and that be it. I did not think that would happen. So that's my bad because if you had Keenan Allen and you looked at my rankings, you probably played him, and I apologize for that. Wide receiver heroes. Yeah, I didn't hesitate putting DeAndre Hopkins in my top 10. In fact, I had him at 10 exactly, and that's exactly what he finished as. I was four spots higher than the ECR. Physically, look, physically we knew he's healthy. He was coming off a suspension, not an injury, and I felt like people were penalizing for that. Like, oh, is he going to knock off the rust? Well, no. That question of rust, that went out the window the second Marquise Brown got hurt. Now, all of a sudden, they're paved the way of like, look, yep, you get those double-digit targets. We knew it was coming. Kyler Murray has always had DeAndre Hopkins as a safety blanket and has utilized him as such. And that's why he got the 10 catches. That's why he got the 100 yards. And Hopkins, back to being a low-end wide receiver one and looked great. Wide receiver zeros. Yeah, so Michael Pittman, I had him as a top five receiver, ranked him at wide receiver four. I was four spots higher than the ECR. So, I mean, look, everybody had him ranked as a top 10 wide receiver one, but I was aggressive and had him at elite. And then he finishes the wide receiver 43. 
Again, this goes back to it was a bad call by me thinking the Colts would take advantage of a Tennessee secondary that had not been very good. I know the first time around, he didn't have a big game either. I thought that would correct itself a little bit the second time around, but there was no such thing. And even in a game in which it was negative game script the entire way for the Colts, and the volume was there, Pittman still didn't get his normal dominant touch load. Paris Campbell cut into it an annoying amount. Alec Pierce was still doing his role. And as a result, I was dead wrong on Michael Pittman being that aggressive. And I apologize. Tight end heroes. Key Dotton, my number two, baby. Ranked him as a top 15 tight end. Put him in the streaming conversation. Even said, look, guys, you can play him. If you're looking for desperate tight ends, I gave a couple of people advice over the weekend who didn't have a good tight end situation. So play Key Dotton. I was three spots higher in the ECR, and he played well. And I was like, look, Brady's looking for somebody to become that third pass catcher. And Russell Gage picks up another hamstring injury. Regardless of what's going on with the Tampa Bay offense, there's plenty of volume for the pass catchers, if nothing else. He got seven targets again in this week. Kate Otten, part of the streaming conversation moving forward. Tight end zeros. Yeah, so Dalton Schultz, he didn't totally dud out in full point PPR. Even half point PPR, it wasn't awful. But I had him 15 spots higher than the ECR. I had him at 10 and 7. He was not a tight end one on the week. And look, I knew this was the risk with Dalton Schultz, right? If he gets hit the wrong way, he could get knocked out. We, But I couldn't pass up the idea that they're playing Detroit and Dak Prescott, who loves him some Dalton Schultz, no matter how slow he is, it was going to get him the ball. And to some degree, that was still true. But the end result just was not there. And he, frankly, Schultz might be too much of a risk, even with Dak back, to really be able to play him with any confidence. Tight end heroes. Pat Freermuth, one of my thumpers of the week here. I ranked him as a tight end four. I was seven spots higher than the ECR because everybody kept questioning whether or not he could have good games with Kenny Pickett, and I wasn't worried about it, especially not against the Miami Dolphins team that just hemorrhages points the tight ends left and right anyway to begin with. Pat Freermuth, baby, one of my best calls of the week, and he's here to stay. Tight end zeros. Everyone got this wrong, but he was my number one tight end overall, and it was the first week that I had ranked him over Travis Kelsey, and he completely, well, next to near goosed everybody. Mark Andrews was absolutely awful. Now, again, like I said, a lot of people got it wrong. A lot of people had him ranked as the number one tight end, but maybe the lesson is you don't not rank Travis Kelsey's number one tight end when he's got Patrick Mahomes and no other legitimate receivers to actually go to. I know they had a nice game, but the bread and butter is Travis Kelsey, and it can't be spot it can't just can't be stopped. I don't care who the matchup is. So my bad for ranking him number one and not Travis Kelsey. All right, the heroes and zeros are in the books. Let's go rapid fire because we got a, a light waiver savior segment this week. Waiver saviors. So let's get into it. Again, I always take the less than 50% owned players on average throughout the major platforms when I do this. And at the quarterback position, that led me to only two guys I don't even want to talk about right now. Three guys, really. You can add Fields in there, too, but that's more of a wait and see. You can't stream him this week. Jared Goff, 
They're playing at home. So I know it's a, it's a tough matchup, but they're playing at home this week. 48% owned, so he just makes the cut. The home road split is alive and well when it comes to Jared Goff. When they go back to Detroit, like they are this week, though, this is where he's had his 26-point performances, his 33-point performances. Even the first week, when they played a really good defense in the Philadelphia Eagles, he still had 15 points and still finished with a decent floor that game. Remember, 15, 16 points right now, that, that puts you pretty much inside the top 14 at quarterback this year. Just This is how it's been. So Jared Goff, because the Lions are at home, if he's getting his weapons back, if he's getting St. Brown back, and there, there was some good news at Dan Campbell suggesting that Brown was already cleared from having a concussion but just had to go through the protocol anyway. If that actually winds up being true, then he'll have that weapon back. Maybe he finally gets Swift back. Things should get better for Detroit, especially when they're in Detroit. So Goff can be looked at. He won't make my top 12, most likely, but he can be more of an option than he was heading into this week against Dallas in Dallas. And then Jimmy G, 27%. Look, there's not a lot of great quarterback options to pivot to here, and I'm not I'm not pivoting to Sam Ellinger. I can tell you that much. But playing against the Rams this week, Jimmy G, at least, if nothing else, has a solid floor, a good chance to get Christian McCaffrey going, good chance to get the play action going, and guys like Brandon Uke, George Kittle, we'll have to see about Debo Samuel. That's the one caveat here. But the big thing is that that offensive line is back. Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey played. They didn't have any setbacks. As far as I know, they'll be expected to play against the Rams this upcoming week. If that's true, then we know George Kittle becomes more of a factor. When Kittle's more of a factor, Jimmy G's is a better passer. Just those two just go hand in hand, even if it's not big performances. I don't think this week will be a big performance either, but Jimmy G will be a viable streaming quarterback, and he's only 27% owned right now. Let's move into our running backs, though. Number one on everybody's list should be Gus Edwards. Only 16% owned on average right now. J.K. Dobbins will be out at least the next four to six weeks. We'll see if it's not longer than that, frankly. Kenyon Drake, we know he's a bum. And Edwards, I was, you know, Carson, I'm watching these games with my buddies on Sunday. And the first thing I said was that Edwards looks like he's really in shape. He's always kind of a guy who's a little bit belly, a little bit thicker, a little bit on the heavy side. That's why he's not as explosive, but he looked like he's like pure muscle now. Like he didn't look like he lost weight in a bad way. Like, no, he looked like he got stronger and more explosive as a result. Gus Edwards, number one pickup this week. You're spending your fad budget on him. I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a hundred percent of it because we still have to deal with the fact that Lamar Jackson makes any running back have a low floor within the confines of that offense. If they don't necessarily score because they don't get thrown the ball either. But 50% minimum, 55% to make sure you get them. Definitely going that high, definitely getting him a priority. And then the other two running backs we got to talk about is the Carolina backfield. So Dots of Foreman, 35% owned. Chuba Hubbard, 25% owned. That in a direct reflection of me, along with a lot of other people, thought that Foreman would be the guy. We saw Hubbard get his chance last year. It wasn't particularly good. In fact, towards the end of it, they started bringing Amir Abdullah because they didn't trust Hubbard and pass protection anymore. And then this year, they signed Donta Foreman in the offseason, and he'd been listed as the number two running back the entire time. Well, Chuba Hubbard, before he got the ankle injury, which we're being told is not significant, and it kind of sounds like he's expected to play this upcoming week, he was dominating the snaps and dominating the touches for the first three quarters. 
Foreman hit a big play early, so the box score looked score looked close throughout. And then, of course, he finished out the game and and did well when he finished out the game too. By the way, this is very much a committee still, but it's a committee that apparently after the first week at least favored Chuba Hubbard. Now, does that continue? Does his injury allow him to? Does the performance of Dante Foreman make the Carolina Panthers think twice about it being Hubbard leading the way? That part, I don't know. All I can go off of is that when both these guys were healthy and available, Chuba Hubbard was dominating the way. And to no surprise, was the one getting the pass catching down work too. The Blackshear kid, he was a non-factor. He was only a special teams player. So I'm looking to go Hubbard first, but Foreman also has some value. And I wouldn't be, I wouldn't mind trying to get both these guys if you have the room for it. That way, if somebody does emerge, you have the correct player no matter what, but only if you have the extra roster spots to do so. Let me get into my handcuffs here. Alexander Madison, 30% owned. Yes, he's coming off a bye week, so I know he's going to dip a little bit there. Uh, you should own him if you own Dalvin Cook, and he's available. And then Rashad White, who played a lot more this week, a little bit closer to that Leonard Fournette snap count. Whether or not that continues, it, it remains to be seen, but we do know the Bucks need to get a spark somehow on offense. That could come out of a guy like a Rashad White, who does have some juice, who does have that ability to break a big play and can, of course, run efficiently while catching the ball out of the backfield. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that was him who provided that for them. We'll have to see exactly what happens. But for now, there's no way I don't own Rashad White if I have Leonard Fournette. Then we get into guys like Tyler Algier. I'm not excited about Tyler Algier. I wouldn't even really spend much fab on him. This is purely like if you're desperate because of injury, you're desperate because of buy, you just need somebody in a spot star situation who gets double-digit carries, that could be Tyler Algier. Does not give you much in the passing game? If he doesn't score a touchdown, it's probably not going to look pretty. But what the Falcons show you this past week, it doesn't matter what the game script is. Tyler Algier, and you know, this past week to a lesser degree, Caleb Huntley, but the week before, Caleb Huntley was pretty involved. They're going to double down and run the ball no matter what. No matter what. The game script be damned. Arthur Smith is going to run the football. Cordo Patterson is not eligible to come off of IR until week nine. They still haven't tried to designate Damian Williams return, even though he's been eligible to do so. So a lot of interesting things to keep your eyes on. But if Patterson's back and healthy week nine, then that's when they're going to go to there. So Algier could be a one-week rental. So just keep that in mind. That's why I don't really want to spend anything on him. It's only an emergency spot start this week. Kyron Williams is the stash. So they're not going to designate him from IR yet. Uh, Sean McVay was talking about that said that they're thinking about maybe next week when they tried to open up the 20-day window next week, meaning he wouldn't be back next week either. It'd be one of the two weeks following after that. But Kyron Williams, if you have an IR spot, is worth a stash. They liked him a lot. They're definitely moved on from Cam Akers. And Henderson clearly is just a second fiddle, nice compliment to have, according to the coaching staff of the Rams. That much has become clear. So keep that in mind. Kyron Williams, a really nice stash. Wide receivers are really light for me this week. Really light. Yes, you can make an argument for a couple other guys here and there, but I'd like to give you guys that are actually going to help you out more than just one week and have some upside to them. So I only have three receivers on my list this week. Wandale Robinson, only 14% owned. I was kind of surprised that number wasn't higher. I pointed out to you guys, and it wasn't just me who pointed this out 
to the listeners as well. Wandell Robinson was fourth in receiving touchdowns in week six and yet still led the way with the most productivity. We knew as long as he stayed healthy, that would continue to rise. It rose to the point we got eight targets this past week. He is the number one receiver of the Giants. They drafted this guy to be so, or at least I should say that he spent draft capital on this guy to be a part of the offense, if nothing else. Wandell Robinson is here to stay as a high floor wide receiver three. Think of him as a Jacoby Myers. It's never really going to be that great, or at least you shouldn't expect it to ever be that great. But he's going to become the clear-cut number one volume-based guy on an offense that I think before long will start to trail in more games. Okay? It's going to happen eventually. I didn't think it happened this weekend in Jacksonville, by the way. I, I One of my lock bets was the Giants plus three, so it's not like I lost out on that for another week. I didn't. Eventually, it's gonna the levy's going to break. But even if it doesn't, Wondell Robinson is a number one receiver and is the slot receiver to Daniel Jones. That is worth having on your team, especially half-point, full-point PPR leagues. Remember, the Buffalo Bills are coming back off the bye, ladies and gentlemen. Isaiah McKenzie, 29% owned. You're looking for spot starters. You're looking for guys who have upside. That would be Isaiah McKenzie, who's widely available around the league, too. And then to a lesser degree, Zay Jones, 26% owned on average. This is more of a full-point PPR move, not really standard, not really half-point PPR, full-point PPR only. The volume's still there. They got back to getting the ball to Christian Kirk this past week, which I figured they would do at some point. But the spinoff off of that is that Zay Jones still getting a heavy amount of volume, not doing a ton with it, doesn't look necessarily pretty, But from a full-point PPR standpoint, Zay Jones enters that low-end wide receiver three category because he's getting enough volume to put him in that value slot. So keep in mind Zay Jones right now. Tight ends, should be no surprise. Kate Otten leads the way. 8% owned. They're looking for a third pass catch in Tampa Bay. I don't know when or if Cameron Brait will be back or, of course, Kyle Rudolph can throw in that mix too. Kate Otten shows some promise each time that he's had the job all to himself. And I think you can actually play him as a streaming option this week against the Baltimore Ravens. Give me Kate Otten at 8%, not just this week, but a guy you can maybe play and rotate and stream or rotate with another tight end, platoon the situation. You just lost David Njoku. Kate Otten could be that guy with a safe floor and a high volume passing offense, even if it's not the most efficient right now in Tampa Bay. Greg Dolchich also makes my list a little less excited about him because of the, the lack of volume there. But 8% owned. This offense, the one thing that's remained consistent is that they've used tight ends. Like Even before Dolchich got out there, Alberto would get a little bit involved. Saubert would get involved. Tomlinson would get involved. Like It seems like the one thing that Daniel Hackett really does want to do outside of everything else is that he does want to utilize a tight end as part of his offense. So Greg Dolchich is at least a speculative ad. Last guy, certainly not least guy, Foster Moreau. This is assuming Darren Waller is out for another week, which I'm going to assume so because he wasn't able to get out in the practice field at all last week. So we'll have to keep our eyes on it. But assuming Waller misses at least one more week, Foster Moreau, very much a high-end tight end two streaming option in his stead. So keep that in mind. And he's only 3% owned, so he should be widely available to you guys. That's going to do it for the show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Remember, we'll be back tomorrow night 
at 10 p.m. Eastern. We'll have Brian Scott to kick off the show like we always do with the injury inquiries. And tomorrow night is the first night that the intern Danielle gets her promotion and she becomes my co-host, Danielle Dubois, on Wednesday night. So looking forward to that. We got a jam-packed show for you, as we always will. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you get notified whenever we have new content available. And download us on your favorite podcast apps. You can stay up-to-date with the show on the go. And always be in the know with fantasy football. Follow us on social media, too, so we'll keep you up-to-date on those player news notifications at Show, Guys, I'll see you tomorrow night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.